Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. So, I have a sense um, that Brendan's right here. Thank you, Brendan. <laughs> I don't know why I sense that. <laughs> Thank you. I have a sense that there are some of us in our community who find ourselves in precisely the same place that the disciples did. And we are hearing Jesus's invitation. And the question is, will we follow this Jesus or will we turn back? I wonder in some ways if our church is not in a similar season to this. For weeks we've been reading John 6, where Jesus says one perplexing thing after another. Particularly outrageous words if you're talking to a sophisticated crowd who've got their religion worked out and who are generally grateful for your wisdom, intrigued even, they consider you an astute teacher, but let's not get carried away. Jesus still fits within our scheme of things. Remember a few of the things that we've heard Jesus say in John 6. And imagine that you are an observant, <clears throat> an observant Jew, faithful in your religious system, and your structures and your power and your economy and everything is sort of sorted out for you. And here you hear Jesus say, the true work of God is to believe in me. Jesus stands before these people and says, the true work of God is to believe in me. He tells them the real bread they need is not the manna that God gave Israel in the desert. And all through chapter 6, Jesus returns over and over again to this story of Israel out in the desert and God pouring manna out of the sky. This was one of the most epic stories in their history, how God provided for them. But Jesus says the real bread you need is not the manna, that God gave Israel through Moses in the desert. I am the bread of life coming down from heaven. Then he said, I am the son sent from the father. I am the son of God. Believe in me to have life that never ends. And the people began to grumble. Who does this guy think he is? This is just Jesus. We know where he comes from. He's Joseph's son. Who does he think he is? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And even with that, that word, you know, I know some of us even cringe when we sing it, blood. Like, why, 
why are we using this old archaic language? I mean, that's an old foregone religion. And yet Jesus says it very plainly, unless you eat my, my body and drink my blood. I wonder what other words we might say or hear in the scriptures or sing in a song that make us cringe. Obedience, holiness, Jesus saying, I, me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we arrive in the scripture today and we hear the same words again. Hearing Jesus' teachings, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Does that feel familiar to you at all? Do you ever scratch your head with some of Jesus' hard teachings? If we never bristle at Jesus, if the scriptures we hear never make us uncomfortable, if the call of the gospel never rouses us out of our slumber, if it never ticks us off a little bit, if no sermon ever makes us squirm, we have not heard Jesus. Does this offend you? Jesus asks. And once again, the scripture tells us the people began to grumble again. <laughs> Does God ever offend you? Does Jesus ever offend you? Do the things that we read in the scripture that we sing or profess in our creeds, do they ever get under your skin a little bit? Our temptation is to believe that anyone's problem with Jesus is only the bad version of Jesus that they've been handed. So if we could just see Jesus untarnished by distorted history and bad Christians, then we'd all love Jesus. We'd have a thriving church and the kingdom of God would constantly be breaking in. But in this story, like so many, Jesus himself spoke. The words actually came from Jesus's mouth. The problem here was not a televangelist. The problem here was not a politicized version of Christianity. Jesus spoke the words and the people were offended. I recognize that sometimes uh, all of us have our own temptations and one of my temptations as a pastor is sometimes to try to not let Jesus be too offensive. Some of that comes because I, at many stages in my life, was beat over the head with a really bad version of Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't true. And I had to go through detox. And I know some of y'all, not by any means all of y'all by any stretch, but I know some of y'all have gone through some detox. But my temptation as a preacher is not to let Jesus speak for Jesus' self. 
Maybe my temptation is even a little more sinister. Maybe I don't want to be offensive. I really like it when people like me. <laughs> I would much rather you like me than dislike me. And sometimes my temptation is to tamp down my conviction or passion or something that I sense Jesus or Jesus' scriptures may be saying to us because I don't want to be misunderstood. If you've been shoveled a lot of Christian cliches, I don't want to give you the idea that I think the Bible is buttoned up nice and tidy and easy. If you've been beaten over the head with abusive religion that manipulated your emotions are operated via fear or shame, I don't want to do anything that you might stick into that same wounded place that is still unhealed. If you've ever been manhandled in a way that you carry the suffocating burden that faith is just about you doing more, or that God is angry with you or always wanting something more from you, or that somehow you've got to have all the proper theological answers I don't want you to somehow hear from me that same soul-killing message. But it is a real mistake if I pastor in reaction to bad theology. And it's a real mistake for any of us to live in reaction to bad theology or bad experiences. Whenever we live in reaction, we are focusing on the lie and we are not focusing on Jesus. Whenever we focus on the lie, it will feel like relief for a while, but eventually we'll end up with only a warped opposing direction. The fact that God is madly in love with you is not in competition with God's invitation to deep transformation where our entire life is remade by God's love. The unending gentleness and kindness of God is not in competition with the truth that the Holy Spirit speaks words straight and true and messes with our opinions and our commitments and our idols. The astounding reality that in Jesus, God has come very close and near to us. A divine tenderness that is ever present is not in competition with the fact that God is also totally other from us, above us, beyond us. God is our God. And the same response is a drop to our knees. The fact that God smiles on us with all of our failures and our humanness, and God does smile on you with all of our failures and humanness, is not in competition with the fact that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus makes possible an entirely transformed life where we become the person who lives more and more in the holiness that God makes possible. The spirit gives life, Jesus says, and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus is not saying that our physicality means nothing and only some internal spiritual state. That is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that our life, 
our way in the world, the way that we live, it actually means nothing if it is not inhabited and made more alive by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And it is the words of Jesus, the way of Jesus, manifest in his teachings that are spirit and life. There is an abandonment to God that says, God, in Jesus, your words are life to me. The Spirit gives life. The flesh to itself counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, Jesus says, are spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who don't believe. And this is one of those times where if you understand Jesus as the Holy Spirit reveals him in the scripture, you're going to hear this one way versus a bad Jesus that you've been handed. If you have a bad Jesus, then what you hear here is a lot of anger. You don't believe. What is wrong with you? I think Jesus speaks these words with deep sorrow. My words are spirit and life, but some of you don't believe. And from this time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You realize this is possible, right? It's possible to encounter and hear Jesus, to hear his call, to hear his words, to hear his invitation, and to turn away. It's not just our distorted images of Jesus that are our problem, and those are a problem. It's not just crazy American Christianity that twists Jesus, though many of us often do. A lot of us hear Jesus just fine, but we don't like what we hear. It offends us. Sometimes we turn back from Jesus and no longer follow him. Sometimes we hear Jesus and we just say no. And I'm not sure at all souls we have owned enough that it is very possible to say no to Jesus and that that is a soul-killing, destroying, dangerous thing to do. Not because God's fury will be unleashed on you, because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God's kindness toward you never ceases, but Jesus' words are spirit and life. Don't we want to live? Don't we want more goodness in this world than we can manage on our own? Don't we want to see sin broken? Don't we want to see families and lives and cities transformed? Don't we want to be renewed? 
Don't we want life and hope? Jesus turned to his inner circle. And I don't know if this is because these were the ones he had most immediate to speak with or if this was all that was left. The scripture says there was a lot of people and a lot of people left. And he turned to his inner circle and he said, what about you guys? I don't think Jesus was angry. I think he wanted to hear what their response would be. Are you going to leave as well? And I think Jesus stands before us today and asks this question, what about you? Will you leave? Peter says, Lord, and I don't know how to read this exactly because I don't, I don't sense triumphalism in Peter. I think there's, there's just something of like a, an utter brokenness of where else would we go? We have experienced something in your words. We have experienced something in your presence and there is nowhere else to go. When I was in my darkest spiritual season, it was about 12 years ago, and I went through months of immense doubt. And it's a tough thing to be a pastor and be wondering whether or not you believe in God anymore. <laughs> and I remember a moment returning again and again to, I don't have all the answers to my doubts, but where else am I going to go? It was the weirdest thing. Like, I didn't know whether or not I believed in God, but I absolutely believed in Jesus. And I knew that the only place I had encountered words of deep life and transformation and hope were in Jesus Christ. I believe that our church has a moment before us, and I don't know why I believe this, and I could absolutely be wrong. So take this for what it's worth. But we have been hearing Jesus' words together as a community. And I think there is an invitation from Jesus to take up our cross and follow him. I sense that God has something for us. For us to move deeper into Jesus, deeper into the life of God's kingdom, to be something more than comfortable. Our church is and will always be, by God's mercy, a place where you can come exactly as you are. You don't have to, you don't have to play a role. You don't have to cover up your doubts. You don't have to vote a certain way. You don't have to agree with everything I say, and I know most of you don't. <laughs> There's no card you have to punch. But I think there is a dangerous possibility that we take all that to simply mean we're just supposed to be comfortable and that God will never challenge us to be awakened in our heart in such a way that actually calls something out of us, makes us responsible for something, places in the kingdom as people of God's voice and witness. I think that some of us are dabbling with Jesus. 
And the call is to be a disciple. I think some of us are not just being honest about our struggles, our weariness. I think some of us are protecting those things. And we don't want Jesus to touch them. And I'm here to say, Jesus wants to touch them. Jesus wants to heal them. Jesus wants you to live spirit and life. And I want to be one pastor who says, I want to follow Jesus. And I fail that every single day. I fall so short and I fall to the same crap, just like most of us do, I'm suspecting. But I'm here to pant plant my stake in the ground and say, what I want, though, is Jesus. And I want to be healed. And I believe it's going to take till now, till I kingdom come, literally, for that to be completed. But that's what I want. And that's what I'm asking Jesus to do. And I would love it if our church would go there, too. Would you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.